Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. It's great to see you this morning. We've had a lot of this stuff going around, and it finally hit me. Last night, I, I, uh, I don't know what happened, just something overcame me, and so I hope I have uh, the voice to get through this weekend. My bench was a little thin. I think most of our team has been sick with uh, not necessarily COVID, but just with a lot of this bronchial stuff that's going around. So I have a little bit of that. So hopefully you can uh, fight through the uh, annoyance of my voice not being as strong, but uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're here. We're in a brand new uh, season in life and ministry, a new schedule. I'm excited about it. Thank you for being here for our early service. Uh, we have a 10.30 service that will be here. And then <clears throat> we're doing a, something very special, as you probably have heard. For our noon service, we're doing more of an abbreviated service. It'll be about a 40-minute service. And so I'm excited about that. So if you get here late, we'll get you out early. And that's the way we'll go uh, for, uh, we're calling it the Met 40. That happens at noon. But I'm glad you guys are here. Be sure and pray for all of our teachers. We have a lot of teachers who are sick with COVID. That seems like we have a whole new uh, wave of that going around uh, in our community. Remember to pray for them. And by the way, thank you for praying uh, for uh, a peaceful resolution at the synagogue there in Colleyville yesterday. We appreciate our law enforcement and all those who were involved in that. And thank you for remembering to pray for them. It's just a reminder that we're in a very evil world. And uh, we have to be very vigilant in all that we do. That's why we have security at our church. Uh, some people, I, honestly, the, I'm shocked, but we'll have people from time to time criticize the fact that we have security in our church. But we protect what's important. And uh, we believe you're important. We believe your children are important. And uh, we are a church that will shoot back. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm so happy that... Uh, <laughs> I'm so happy that... Um, that uh, you can come here and worship safely. Well, we're in a series called Peace by Peace. And I believe it is the will of God for you and I to experience his peace. In the midst of evil, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of difficulty, and in the midst of sorrow, you can have peace. I mean, Jesus ministered in a world that was uh, full of all of those things. His apostles were sent out into a world that was hostile, I mean, we think uh, people are hostile to the claims of Christianity today. You need to read about the history of the first century. Uh, you'll find a very hostile world. They were hostile to the claims of Christ. <clears throat> they were very hostile to the message of Jesus. And so he sent them out, but he sent them out with his peace. Uh, the, the verse that we've given you for our uh, series is peace I leave with you, Jesus said in John 14, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. And then he said, let not your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. And last weekend I talked about the first peace that has to be in place if you're gonna have peace in your life is you have to have peace with God. You have to have peace with your creator. There needs to be a connection with the one who made you, who formed you, who knows you better than you, who loves you more than you love you, you might not die for you, but he did. And so once you have made peace with God, you can begin to understand <clears throat> that peace that Paul spoke of 
the peace that passes all understanding. And this morning, I want to take another piece and talk about what has to be in place if you and I are going to have peace. Are you ready for this? You got to have peace with your past. You have to have peace with your past. Not just peace with the creator, that's important, significant. Nothing else works if you don't have peace with him. Isaiah 9, 6, the Bible said he's the prince of peace. So if you don't know the prince of peace, you could never have his peace. But once you know him, then you need to begin to make peace with your past. Because one thing about it, we all have a past. And so many times when people connect with the creator, one of the things they struggle with is forgiving themselves over the problems of the past, over the failures of the past, over the sins of their past. And the Bible says that God has placed all of our sins as far as the east is from the west, never to be brought up in remembrance again. So if he's not going to bring them up, then why do we? We tend to do that, though. We tend to have trouble getting past our past. We have trouble sometimes turning the page. We have trouble looking toward the future and focusing in that direction because for many people, they struggle with failures, <clears throat> they struggle with sorrow, they struggle with the sins of their past. So I wanna to try to help you a little bit with that. If that's you, I wanna to try to help you try to move past your past and to have a wonderful, peaceful, joyful new year. In fact, <clears throat> our, our, our uh, month January is actually, the, the name January the, the, is actually based on a, a Roman mythological figure called Janus. It was a two-headed mythological figure. One head uh, depicted facing the past, and that head was sorrowful and sad. And the other head attached to it was facing the opposite direction, depicting facing the future, and it was joyful and hopeful. And so when you have January coming around, you do have this time when you look back over the year and you reflect over that, and you look forward to a, another year, and you look forward to all of that. And so when you consider this is an opportunity for us to perhaps put some things in order that we've gone through, maybe some mistakes that we've made in our past that might be affecting our joy and peace so that we can pivot and we can focus on the future and have a wonderful season of ministry and joy in the coming year. In fact, look with me in Philippians chapter three. <clears throat> I chose this text because Paul is a really a great example of a man who knew how to rectify his past. He's a guy, if you remember, before he came to faith in Christ, had a pretty notorious past. He was probably the first terrorist uh, of the New Testament. He hated Christians. He was putting them to death. He was doing so <clears throat> with the permission of Rome. He was doing so with the authority of Rome. Uh, Rome was seeking to try to squash any remnants of these followers of Jesus Christ, and they certainly didn't want this thing called the church uh, to get traction. And so Paul was going about persecuting Christians, and yet something happened in his life that changed him, and that is on the road to Damascus, Paul encountered Jesus, and he received him as Savior. His life was never the same. In fact, God so incredibly gloriously saved him that he not only changed his life, he changed his name. The name Saul meant important one, significant one. Saul was the first king of Israel. Uh, and so every Jewish mother would, uh, with great pride, want to name their boy Saul. 
And yet Saul was uh, a name that depicted um, arrogance. Uh, it, it was a name that depicted authority. It was a name that uh, depicted um, um, uh, self-reliance. He was the king. And Paul, by contrast, meant humble one. Uh, Paul, by contrast, meant in some cases, it meant even insignificance, meaning that he didn't push himself or promote himself. Uh, he, he wasn't stepping over or on top of people to make a name for himself. And so you see this beautiful contrast even in the two names, Saul and Paul. And so God radically changes not only his life, but he changes his name. So my point is, if there were ever an example in the Bible of someone that had to get past their past to have joy and peace, it would have been Paul. And so I look at Philippians because it's the book that he wrote, a little letter that he wrote, uh, and the theme of it is joy. And in this uh, theme of joy, he refers several times to peace, the peace that he was experiencing and the peace he wanted others to experience. So let's pick up in Philippians 3. Look with me in verse 12, and we'll read a couple of verses together. Paul writes, not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. I love his humility. But I press on to take hold for that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, <clears throat> I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do. I'm forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, let me point out a, three or four things I, I just want you to consider with me this morning that will help you if you're struggling with making peace with your past. Number one, you have to recognize some things. You have to recognize, folks, that there are some joy killers and some peace destroyers that you'll face in life. There are. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when you really read the book of Philippians, I can identify four things in these four chapters that Paul had to recognize that could have potentially destroyed the peace and the joy in his life if he didn't deal with them properly. In chapter one, he talks about persecution. Now, <clears throat> you and I don't face persecution today. We face problems. It's a different word. So Paul had to understand that in this world, you're going to have problems. And one of the things that enabled Paul to find joy and peace in his life was the way he faced the problems of his life. He recognized God had a purpose for every problem. God had a reason for it. I've told you before, when you begin to pray about your problems, God will either take them from you or he'll give you the strength to face them. And so in chapter one, Paul didn't allow the problems that he faced to affect his joy or to affect his peace. And not everybody can do that. I know some people, because of the problems of life, it disturbs their peace, it takes away their joy, and they have trouble navigating through the problems of life. So you have to recognize if that's an issue in your life, and you say, you know, Bill, that's really me. I don't think I'm having the joy that I could be experiencing. I don't think I have the peace that I could be enjoying right now because of the problems that I'm facing. And I just, again, want to suggest to your heart that there's no problem you have today that God cannot solve. There's no issue today that you're facing that God cannot handle. What you have to do is transfer those problems over to him. Paul recognized the fact that he was in a partnership with God. 
He recognized the fact he was on a mission from God, that God had a reason and a purpose for his life. But chapter one recognizes the fact that sometimes there are problems that rob us of our peace. Chapter two, Paul had to gain the right perspective. Sometimes people, they don't have the proper perspective on life, and so it affects the joy and the peace that they experience. Here's a great perspective, right? Here's a great perspective. Realize and recognize God is in control of everything. When Jesus said, listen, all the Father has given me are in my hand. No one can pluck them from my hand. Now get that imagery. You're in his hand. You've made peace with God. You've invited him into your life, and you're now in his hand. The only thing that can get to you has to go through him. So when you go through life with that perspective, Paul recognized the fact, yes, I've got problems, and yes, I have persecution, but I understand the fact that my heavenly Father is in control of every aspect of my life. I believe this with all my heart. God does not cause everything that happens in life to happen, but he permits the things in life to happen that happen. And regardless of what happens in life, he has a purpose for it. He can take the good and the bad. He can take the happy and the sad. He can take all of those things, Romans 8, 28 says, and he can make them work together for good to those of us who love him, those who are called to his purpose. So Paul had to recognize the fact that there's some problems that can steal my peace. There, uh, I need to gain a perspective if I'm going to keep the peace Chapter three, and this is a big one, he also had to face people. There were people that were difficult in his life. And man, some of the things that you and I face in life are just people problems. Um, Sometimes it's the people that you encounter and the people that you deal with in life that can rob your peace. It can take away your joy. And so Paul identifies in chapter three of Philippians some of the people that he encountered and he recognized the fact I can't let them steal my joy and I cannot allow anyone in my life to affect my peace. And then chapter four, he talks about persistence. Just don't give in and don't give out and don't give up. Don't allow someone or don't allow something to take away your peace. Now, here's what I know. If you've made peace with God, but you don't have peace this morning, at some point in your life, you left your peace somewhere. You allowed someone or something to take your peace from you. Let me illustrate it like this. In the 137th Psalm, Israel was carried away captive by Babylon. And they were carried away captive into Babylon because of their disobedience to God. And listen to what their captors said of them in the 137th Psalm, verse 1. They said, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. We wept when we remembered Zion. Listen to what they said. We hung our harps on the willows in the midst. For For those who carried us away, those who took us captive, ask of us, sing us a song. They said, sing us one of those happy songs of Zion. And we responded, how will we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Now, let me put this together. When Babylon captured Israel, Israel obviously had a beautiful orchestra. And as they were being carried away captive, imagine this, all of those um, orchestra members were just hanging their instruments on the willows as they were taken captive. And they were being led off into Babylonian captivity. 
And once they were in Babylonian captivity, <clears throat> the Babylonian people said, sing us one of those songs. Play the music for us. You people who say you love God and say you know God, you're known for being a joyful people. You're known for being a peaceful people. And they responded, we can't sing anymore because we hung our harps back there on the willows. We left our song back there uh, on those willow trees. And the principle of that passage is this. At some point in time, whenever you lose your song, when you lose your joy and you lose your peace, you probably can remember the willow tree where you hung up your instrument. You can remember that encounter you had with that person that broke your heart, that cost you your joy, that took away your peace. You can remember that heartful experience you walked through where it broke you in such a way that you lost your song. And you, you, you kind of, you, you hung that instrument, if you, if you will, on that willow tree, and you haven't had your song since that experience. So the principle is you have to go back and you have to deal with it. You have to go back to where you left the instrument and pick it up again if you're ever going to have joy and you're ever going to sing again. Which brings my second point around. If I'm going to make peace with my past, I then have to reconcile some things. I'm going to have to go back and I'm going to have to try to reconcile some things if I'm going to get my song back. I'm going to have to try to fix some things that might be fixable. And when I go back into my past and I try to fix some things that might be fixable, I also have to recognize, you ready for this? Some things in your past are not fixable. And if it isn't fixable, you have to learn how to let it go, leave it alone, and move away from it. Um, when you talk about your past, a lot of times, more often than not, it's not a something as much as it is a someone. And I talk to people all the time who are having trouble getting peace with their past because of some hurt that they had, some issue that they had with some person in their past. And when I talk about reconciling with someone from your past, understand that's not always possible because before you can reconcile with someone from your past, they have to be willing and they have to be receptive. You remember the imagery that Jesus gave us in uh, Revelation 3.20 when he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my, uh, uh, my voice and open the door, I will come in and fellowship with them and they with me. Well, the imagery of Jesus knocking at the door is beautiful because it shows that he's not kicking the door in. He's knocking on the door. He's wanting entrance. He's wanting a relationship. He's wanting fellowship. But the key to all of that is the person behind the door to be receptive and to be willing to open the door and to be willing to receive him. Now, when you draw that analogy to reconcile the people of your past, understand you can be willing and you can be receptive, but if they aren't, you can't kick the door in. <laughs> you can't force them. You, you, you can't make them reconcile something that happened in the past. It's, it's interesting, but in ministry for a long time and you guys in business for a long time, you, you understand there are some people you just can't help. There's some people that you cannot be reconciled with. Think about this. There are, you can't help someone, first of all, who doesn't think they need it. I don't care what your intentions are. I don't care how bad you want to reconcile with someone. You can't help someone if they don't think they need it. 
I mean, the reality of it is, whenever you talk about salvation and making peace with God, um, if, if a person doesn't know that they need a savior, they'll never invite him into their life. If a person doesn't know they're lost, then they'll never seek to be found. So the point is, you cannot help, I cannot help, regardless of how we want to reconcile, you cannot help someone who first doesn't think they need it. Two, you can't help someone who knows they need help, but they don't want it. (laughs) Have you encountered someone like that? They know they need help, but they just don't want it. You remember the question Jesus said when he encountered the man who had been lame there by the pool for all those many years? He said, remember, he said, will you be made whole? (laughs) Will you be made whole? Now, it's an interesting question for a man that had been there that long. You'd think, God, well, of course I want to be made whole. I'm just waiting on the waters to be stirred. I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. But Jesus asked him the question because it was very practical and very pointed because unless you want it, it's not going to happen. So again, you have to be willing and you have to be receptive and you can't help someone who knows they need it, but they don't want it. Thirdly, get this, you can't help someone who doesn't want it yet. You can't help them if they don't want it yet. They're not ready to receive help. They're not ready to reconcile. You remember when Paul in Acts 12 stood before King Agrippa and he shared his story with King Agrippa. The response of King Agrippa, get this, was Um, Paul, almost, almost, you have persuaded me to be a Christian. I I know I need to be a Christian. I know I'm not a Christian. You've almost, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. He needed help. He might have even wanted help, but he didn't want help yet. And there are people that you may encounter when you try to reconcile your past that just aren't willing and aren't receptive. Here's the fourth thing. There's some people who don't want help. You ready for this? They just don't want it from you. (laughs) They just don't want to reconcile with you. Um, Have you noticed sometimes with your kids, they'll hear almost anybody's voice but yours. They go through that little zone in life. Well, when you go to try to reconciling with some people, there are some people who know they need help and might even want help. They just don't want help from you. You remember concerning Jesus, Jesus said a prophet is not without honor in his own people. I mean, Jesus' own family thought he was crazy. They didn't receive him. He wasn't honored in the town where he grew up. And so sometimes you can be dishonored around people that have known you a long time. They need help and they want help, but they just won't receive it from you. And so you have to be, be okay with that. You have to reconcile that in your head. Here's the last one I'd give you on this. There are people that you try to help who need help, but they aren't willing to do what it takes to get it. They're not willing to do what it takes to get it. You can't force somebody uh, to live a good life. You can't force somebody to do the right thing. Remember the old adage, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink. (laughs) You can't force somebody to do that. All you can do is do the best you can to reconcile with the people of your past, but you have to realize there are some people who just simply will not allow you to reconcile with them. So the third thing you have to do is you have to release some things. At that point, you got to release some things. Sometimes you have to walk away from some things, and sometimes you have to walk away from some people. When Jesus sent the apostles out, you ought to read this sometime in Matthew 10. He sent them out to minister, and he sent them out to represent him. 
And he said, when you go out, some of you will remember this when I, when I share this. He said, when you go out, not everybody will receive you. Some of them are going to reject you with prejudice. I mean, they're not going to have anything to do with you. He said, two things when that happens to you. Number one, don't let them steal your peace. Don't let them, when you walk away from them, take your peace with you. Don't leave your peace with them. When you release someone from your life, don't leave. And then here, here's what else he said. Shake the dust off of your feet. You remember that expression? Shake the dust off your feet. I think it's a practical illustration of don't take the rejection from that experience into your next relationship. Don't take the negativity from that encounter into your future. Shake that off. Just deal with it. Move on from it. Don't allow it to affect you. And guys, there's some people in your life and there's some things in your life if you're going to make peace with your past that you just have to simply release. Philippians 1 Verse 12, here's what Paul said. The things which happened to me, listen, have fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel. You know what Paul said? He said, there's some things that happened to me. I had to let go of them. Man, I, I know what they are. I, 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 can, I can go back and point them out. I, I, I've tried to reconcile them. I tried to go back and fix them, but they're not fixable. So now I've had to, I've had to let them fall out. I've had to let them go. And some of you guys, if you're going to make peace with your past, you got to let some things go. You, you, you have to release some things. You have to release some people. Remember we talked about not long ago, forgiveness, one of the ideas of forgiveness is release. When you forgive someone, you've released them. When you forgive a debt, you release it. You release it. You've released them from that obligation. And sometimes you have to release. Paul, Paul had to get past some grudges. He had to get past some guilt. He had to get past some, some grief. Paul had to release some things that he had in his life, and you can do it. Let me give you an illustration. You remember Joseph in the Old Testament, betrayed by his brothers? Remember that story? And then you see Joseph being promoted as the prime minister of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. You remember the encounter through a famine that brings his brothers back into his presence. And that had that incredible story of Joseph finding peace with his past, reconciling and all the things that happened there. But one of the things that's interesting about Joseph is Joseph names two of his boys as a testimony to his life. He names one of his boys Manasseh, and he names the other boy Ephraim. And you see this in um, Genesis uh, 41, I believe. And in Genesis 41, the name uh, Manasseh means forgetfulness, forgetfulness. The name Ephraim means fruitfulness. And Joseph is kind of like the looking back and looking forward, the Janus thing. He's naming Manasseh forgetfulness, meaning that God has, he's allowed me to forget the pain of my past. Ephraim is, God has made me fruitful. He's blessed me immeasurably. My future is so much brighter than my past, but they're all intertwined. And I think when you think about forgetting forgetfulness, forgetting your past, I, I don't think the principle of the scripture is that you can ever forget the heartaches or the betrayals of people or the heartaches or the betrayals of circumstances in life. But here's what happens. Over a period of time, God takes the pain out of the memory. You still have that memory. 
Somebody says, oh, forgive and forget. Well, you can forgive, but you can't forget. I mean, if somebody betrays you, steals from you, harms you, I don't care how spiritual you are, you can forgive them, but you ain't forgetting. (laughs) It's still there. So I I get the sentiment in in that expression, but that's not possible to forget. What happens with this forgetfulness aspect of Manasseh is God can take the pain out of the memory. Meaning that when you think about them, you don't cry. Or when you think about them, you don't want to, you know, hit something. (laughs) And you know you've forgiven someone when you see them and you don't feel sick or angry. Maybe you feel nothing. But you know that you've forgiven them because you've finally gotten to that point that Paul said, I've let it fall out. I know I can't fix it. I can't wreck it. They're not willing. They're not receptive. So I can't hold on to this. I've got to release it. I've got to let it fall out for the furtherance of the gospel. Here's the last thought. You now are ready to resolve some things. You're ready to look to your future. Paul said again in Philippians 3, reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I'm pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Paul said, I'm pressing, I'm pursuing this thing God's called me. I'm realizing I'm here for a purpose. God has a purpose for my life. I've told you, you are immortal until God is finished with you. So you've got to get past the baggage of your past to be able to really focus and press uh, into your future. Paul said, I'm pressing forward. I'm believing that God has greater things for me. I've let this baggage go. I've dropped this weight that I need to drop so that I can press toward the prize of the high calling of Christ uh, Jesus. And can I tell you, as I close this morning, God has a purpose for your life. He's got a plan for your life. You wouldn't be in this room and you wouldn't be watching online right now if he didn't have something for you to do. But so many times we allow the problems of our past and the people who are in our past and the difficulty of our past to take the joy and the peace out of our life. So I hope you've heard something this morning that might help you begin to uh, deal with some of these issues and get over them and get them behind you so you can push on into what God has for you because I believe God has better things for your life, greater things. I think this could be the greatest year of ministry I think this could be the greatest year of blessing for you and your family and your business, and I pray it'll be so. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it never returns void, that it always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. And I pray this morning for peace for all of those in this room and those watching. Lord, I I pray not only that they'll have peace with their past, but I pray they'll have peace with you. I pray this morning that if one individual has never trusted you as Savior, that this might be the moment where they humble their heart and they simply pray a prayer like this and say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.